1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and, and 20. We're continuing our thoughts on heaven today. If you will recall, this morning we noticed there's no comparison. No comparison. The heaven of heavens, what Paul called uh, the third heaven, there's no comparison. There are some beautiful sights uh, from our view here on this earth, but there's no comparison. No comparison. Psalm 1611 says that in the presence of God there's fullness of joy, and at His right hand there are pleasures forevermore. We notice this morning also that uh, heaven's a place where God is. His special presence is there awaiting us. The Apostle John reminds us in 1 John 3 and verse 2 that when He appears, uh, we shall be like Him and we shall see Him uh, even as he ends, as he is, uh, to us who follow Christ, uh, the presence of God is um, is the main focus of our lives. We noticed this morning that heaven's going to be a happy place because there are things that would be missing from heaven, things that that depress us here. Those things will not be in heaven. So here we are this evening, and we're going to begin with this passage, and then. Draw some ideas from this passage. Paul in 1 Thessalonians 2 has in mind the second coming of our Lord and life after that. 1 Thessalonians 2.19 He asks this question, What is our hope? What is our joy? What is our rejoicing? What is our crown of rejoicing before the Lord Jesus at His coming? And then he says, Is it not you, brethren? Is it not you? For you are our glory. You are our joy. You might be reminded that Paul used similar language over in Philippians 4 and verse 1, referring to those brethren in Philippi like he did to the brethren here in Thessalonica. He says, you are my crown and joy. You are my crown and joy. So just as it is important to think about God and being in His presence when we get to heaven, so it's important also to think about who we can take to heaven with us. And Paul is looking at these brethren. He's had, a, he's had a part in helping them come to know the Lord Jesus. He's had a part in getting them started on their journey to heaven. And he is looking forward to seeing them, being with them at the coming of Jesus. He said, part of my joy, part of my rejoicing is going to be able to see you there. See you there throughout all eternity. Now let's draw some ideas. Let's expand on Paul's thoughts here from 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. First of all, notice the church connection. The church connection to heaven. Because he is speaking to brethren. He is speaking to brethren who have submitted to Christ. They are sacrificing for him. They are following in, in his path. They are sticking to his uh, will. So let's see the church connection. And with that, turn over and look in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 15.24. 1 Corinthians 15.24 where it says, Then comes the end. That is the end of time. Here it is. Second coming of Jesus. Then comes the end when the Lord Jesus will deliver the kingdom up to His Father. Up to His Father. See the church connection here because... As you know, the church and the kingdom refer to the same 
institution. We've gone over this a thousand times, but you know Jesus said in Matthew 16, 18, Upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. And Peter, I'll give unto you the keys of the kingdom. When the Lord refers to the church as the church, He's talking about the standpoint of the fact that the gospel calls us out of the world, because church means called out people. The gospel calls us out from the world and brings us into the body of people who are the saved and who are willing to take on the purpose of God. As Peter says in 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10, we have been called out of darkness into His marvelous light. We were once not a people, now we're the people of God. Okay. And then the idea of kingdom is simply another way of referring to God's saved people. Except now when you think of kingdom, you think of Jesus being the king of kings, Revelation 19, 16. And the fact that these people in the kingdom are those who have been willing to submit to his will, be ruled, be ruled by Christ. Um, a reference there might be Colossians three fifteen. Those of us in Christ, we are, we are ruled by the peace of Christ. Let the peace of Christ, let the peace of Jesus Christ rule in your hearts. Okay. He's the king of kings. He's the ruler of all rulers. He's the Lord of lords. He teaches us to pray, Thy thy will be done. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. And when we recognize that Jesus is all powerful and he has all authority, we want him to rule in our lives. And that causes us to do his will. And so notice the church connection here into eternity. On that final day, Jesus will take the kingdom church and deliver it up uh, to His Father. It is His to deliver. Remember that. Matthew 16, Jesus says, Upon this rock I will build my church. My church. It is His to, to deliver. You remember Jesus standing before Pilate, John eighteen thirty six. He said, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom, my kingdom... We're of this world, then would my servants fight? Like you've got in mind, Pilate, but my, my kingdom is not from here. It is his uh, to deliver. And what we have here is um, the final stage, the final stage of the kingdom church. When, when Jesus delivers at, at his coming, he delivers that kingdom to the Father. This is the final stage. This is, the, this is what we're we're serving for. This is what we're hoping for. This is, this is where our faith uh, is. Is that final stage of being of God's people. That is being with God at His throne uh, forever. Turn with me uh, to Second Peter 1 right quick. Second Peter 1. And those in the auditorium class uh, from Wednesday night. We, we mentioned this in passing. But notice going back to Second Peter 1 verses uh, 10 and 11. Peter says, Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to make your calling and election sure, for if you practice these qualities, you will never uh, fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you. I love verse 11. Are you with me? 2 Peter 1.11. There will be richly provided for you an entrance, an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter is writing to Christians. Okay. Those who have already been added to the church kingdom. 
But there is a final phase of the kingdom coming at the Lord's second coming. It is at that time He will deliver that kingdom to the Father. We will enter into what He calls here the eternal phase, eternal kingdom. So notice the church connection uh, here. It's, it's, It's wonderful to think about. And here is another important idea before we leave our first point here. Remember, we want everybody. We want everybody who's breathing. We want everybody that we know to be able to, be able to enjoy the entrance into this eternal kingdom. And God charges us to make that happen. Over in 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 1, you can just feel the charge here. Paul says to Timothy, I charge you, I charge you in the sight of God and His Son Jesus Christ who will judge the the, uh, living and the dead by His appearing and His kingdom. He says, I charge you to preach the Word. Be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. We must let people know we must let people know that what is required to enter the church is the same thing that's required to enter the kingdom. It's a, it's a marvelous way of introducing somebody uh, to salvation in Christ. For example, in John 3 and verse 5, Jesus, in discussing the new birth, He said, whoever is born of water and the Spirit, which we know that means baptism, whoever is born of water and the Spirit, that person will enter into the kingdom of God, into the kingdom of God. But notice how similar Paul speaks in 1 Corinthians 12 and 13, where he says, For by one Spirit have you all been baptized into one body. Into one body. And of all of us who, any of us who read the Bible from here to there, understand the body is the church. And so what is required to get into the kingdom is what is required to get into uh, the church. And we must let people know this. Preach the Word. Preach the Word. There are two times in life where we need to be sharing the Gospel. In season and out of season. Okay. That covers it all. And that's what Paul is saying. Preach the Word. Be urgent. Be urgent. We don't have any urgency about us anymore. We don't really think it's going to happen. We don't really believe. We don't deep down really believe. That's why there's no urgency about us. Paul says be urgent in season and out of season. So first of all, I want us to see the church connection uh, to heaven. Secondly, I want us to see the awareness and the recognition that we'll have in the next life. The awareness and the recognition that we'll have in the, in the next life. Notice Paul going back to 1 Thessalonians 2.19. He says, what is my joy? What is my hope? What is my crown of rejoicing? It is you, brethren. It is you. When, brethren? When are you going to give me that hope and that joy and that rejoicing? At the coming of Jesus and from that point onward. Okay. Now, Paul could not have this hope about these brethren if he was not able to recognize them, if he was not able to be aware of their existence. That would not be a hope for him at all. It reminds us of what Paul says as he's he's seeking to motivate Philemon over in the book of Philemon verses 15 and 16. 
Paul is encouraging Philemon to receive Onesimus, his runaway servant, back home. And he says this to to, uh, Philemon. He says, perhaps, perhaps, perhaps Onesimus left you for a season, for a time, so that you might receive him back forever. Forever. Not just now as as a servant, but much more than a servant. A brother in the Lord, both in the flesh and in the Lord. He throws that out at Philemon. He says, Philemon, don't you understand? He is now a brother in Christ, and he will be your brother, not just on, on earth here, but forever. Forever. We're also reminded of, of David's sad situation back in 2 Samuel 12, where he lost his, his little child. And while the child was still living, David was praying, and he wouldn't receive food. He, he wouldn't get, even get up and wash himself. But after the child passed on, David got up and washed himself, went in and worshipped the Lord, and, and even started receiving food again. And his, his servants were confused about it. And David explained. He said, now while the child was alive, I thought, well, maybe the Lord will be gracious. I don't know. We don't, any of us know, do we? Maybe the Lord will be gracious and bring him back to me. But once the child died, then I understood that, that he cannot come back to me, but I can go to him. That's, that's David's word, 2 Samuel 12, 23. He can't come back to me, but I can go to him. Why would David take hope in that if he would not, not be able to recognize his own child? His own child. Beautiful thought there. Beautiful thought. And what about what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 8 and verse 11? That many shall come from the east and west and shall sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Now, if we were not able to recognize Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that would not be a promise whatsoever. That would not be a promise uh, filled uh, with hope. But clearly we're going to be able to recognize them because that's, that brings us great interest, doesn't it? Aren't you interested in being able to sit down with those that you read about in the Bible and just talk with them and, and uh, sup with them and fellowship with them and listen to them and, and converse with them as we all give praise and glory to God? What a, what a wonderful thought. And get this. If we're going to be able to recognize those people that we've just read about in the Bible, how much more will we be able to recognize those that we have stood side by side with in the kingdom here on this earth and served with? And, and what about those we've been able to lead to Jesus through the gospel of our Lord? Certainly we'll be able to recognize uh, them. Of course, of course, of course, of course. You know, the part of us that does all the recognizing, The part of us that is so aware of life is that part of us that's not ever going to die. When we die, it is our physical self that dies. But the inner person doesn't die. It doesn't die. We'll live on. Yes, I'll live on, we sing. I'll live on and on. It's so true because that part of us just continues to live. And it is that part of us that does the awareness, that, that has the recognition. Uh, we, we read about this earlier in the summer, but over in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 11, Paul says, Who knows the thoughts of a person except for the spirit of that person that is in him? Okay? 
So it is with our inner person, our spirit, our soul, that we do our thinking. We do our thinking. Okay? Your, your body and your, and your brain are just tools. It is your inner spirit that does, that does your thinking. I, I love what Mary, Mother Jesus, um, notice her song in Luke 1, 46 and 47. She says, My soul does magnify the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. Notice how that it is that inner person that does the feeling. It is within, it is from that inner person that we express our emotion. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. You remember the commandment from the Lord. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay. So it is with our inner person that we do our thinking. It is with our inner person that we do our feeling. It is with our inner person that we do our, our decision making. Okay. It is with our inner person that we live and move and have our being. So certainly, not only here, but in the next life as well, that person, that inner person is going to continue to thrive, continue to be there, and certainly we'll be able to recognize what's going on and who it is that we are with. Now Daniel says in, in Daniel 7 verse 15 that, that his spirit grieved within him as he received visions from God. Some of those visions were kind of heartbreaking and he said his spirit grieved. You see, with our spirit we can rejoice. With our spirit uh, we can grieve. But now, when it comes to eternity, which one do you want to be doing forever and ever? Okay. Either way, whether we go to the right hand of God, whether we go and, and, our, and live with God for eternity, or whether we go to the very, very dark place with Satan and his angels, we're going to continue to live. And we have the choice right now of whether we're going to be in a grieving process, torment process, or whether we're going to be rejoicing like Mary was rejoicing. You see... This little question Paul asked implies that, that there's going to be a continuous awareness from here on out. The fellowship in heaven is going to be great. As we mentioned this morning, our primary reason for wanting to go to heaven is to give glory to our God, always will be. But a benefit of that is that there are going to be other people there as well who have that same aim, and who have made it their aim during their life on earth, therefore they're going to be making it their aim in eternity in heaven with you. The fellowship in heaven is going to be quite spectacular uh, itself. It's, it resembles what we're experiencing now. In 1 John 1, in verse 7, if we walk in the light as Jesus is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, continues to, to cleanse us from all of our, our sin. Now, when we come to worship, we come to worship, our primary purpose, our overriding purpose when we come to worship is to bring honor to Him. Okay? But as we do that, we have fellowship one with another. As we seek to serve the Lord in whatever capacity from day to day, our primary purpose is to bring glory to God, but along with that, we can stand side by side with tremendous fellowship. That fellowship is going to be enhanced to a tremendous degree 
once we are, we are in heaven. A third ideal from Paul's question there in 1 Thessalonians 2 is to remember there is going to be certain, a certain amount of joy experienced when Jesus comes again. Certain amount of joy. He says, what is our, what is our joy? What is our crown? What is our rejoicing? It's going to be some joy. This joy certainly will involve some rest. Because Revelation 14, 13 says, Those who die in the Lord will rest from their labors. Rest from their labors. There's going to be a certain amount of rest. Not going to be inactivity. But oh, how wonderful it will be to not have to deal with all the things in this life that uh, tend to bring us down. Tend to bring us down. There's a certain amount of rest. So the joy involves rest, but it also involves a reaping. You know, sowing and reaping? It involves reaping. I love this thought. You remember the passage from Galatians 6 where Paul says, God is not mocked, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. He that sows to his own flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the Spirit of God shall from the Spirit of God reap everlasting life. Brethren, Paul says, do not be weary in well-doing. Reaping time is coming. Do not be weary weary in well-doing. Whenever you're presented, Galatians 6 verse 9, whenever you're presented with a work to do, don't be weary in well-doing. Galatians 6 verse 10, he goes on to say, whenever you have opportunity, do good to all men, especially those of the household of faith. Do not be weary. Do not be weary. Reaping time has come. So this joy, this certain joy will involve rest, it will involve reaping. You know, Jesus said in Matthew 6 verse 19, Lay not up for yourselves treasure upon the earth, where rock, where... Uh, where um, Rust, rust does corrupt, and thieves do break through and steal. But do what? Lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where none of this can happen, where thieves cannot break through and steal, where rust will not uh, corrupt, for where your treasure is what? There will your heart be. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? See, there's, there's a reaping time coming. But then also this joy involves rejoicing. Rest, reaping, and rejoicing. Jesus said, you know, there in Matthew 5 and verse 12, Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. Rejoicing time. Here's a verse you might want to look at. I hadn't seen this in a while. Revelation 12, verse 11. We mention it quite often. I love it because... It has three points to it, and a preacher cannot survive without three points. But look at Revelation twelve eleven. But then don't stop there. But he says, And they overcome, they overcame Satan by the blood of the Lamb, and by the word of their testimony, they shared their faith. And the fact that they loved not their lives even unto death. And then look at verse twelve. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. 
So if we are willing to trust in the blood of our Lord, share the word of the testimony, and love not our life even unto death, then there will be a time of rejoicing. And then finally this evening, brethren, I want us to understand from Paul's words in 1 Thessalonians 2 that we've got to have an all-out effort to get to heaven. There must be an all-out effort to get to heaven. Now indeed, Peter in his writings in 1 Peter 1 and 13, he says that when heaven appears, it's, it's going to be part of God's grace. God's grace. That's so true. We do not deserve heaven. You'll be saying that all your days throughout eternity as you live on and on and on. Part of your praise to God will be, I don't deserve this. I don't deserve this at all. We already say that, don't we? Because of the blessings of God. Undeserved. In no way, shape, or fashion do we earn our way into God's favor. But nonetheless, nonetheless, we're not going to gain heaven without obedience and sacrifice. Notice a few verses with me and then we'll be closing down. Heaven is open only to those who realize their own spiritual poverty. Okay. Matthew 5, verse 3. Blessed, Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those that mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is describing someone who, has, who, has, who sees himself broken, sees himself or herself as a broken person without Christ. And the cross. It starts right there. If, we're not, if we don't see our sin as a mourning condition, if we don't become poor in spirit and eliminate all the bits and pieces of pride that's left within us, then we can't go to the kingdom of heaven. Unless we hunger and thirst after God, Matthew 5, verse 6, then there's no way for us to appear in the kingdom of heaven. You see, it takes obedience and sacrifice, uh, doesn't it? In Matthew 5, verse 19, we learn that, that we can't get to the kingdom of heaven unless we're, we're willing to both do and teach the teachings of God. Matthew 5, 19. We've got to both do and teach uh, His doctrines if we want to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Matthew 6, 14 and 15, Jesus said, Except you, you are willing to forgive your brother uh, their sins against you, then the Heavenly Father is not going to be willing to forgive uh, you of your trespasses. And so we've got, to have a, we've got to have a forgiving spirit if we expect to enter in the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew 18, Jesus called a little child in the midst of the disciples. And they were already becoming full of pride thinking about the kingdom of Jesus. <clears throat> he called this little child in amongst them. He said, except you humble yourself and be converted and become like as this little child, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. In Mark chapter 10, 24 and 25, Jesus said that those who are attached to their wealth, He actually says, it is very, very difficult for a wealthy person to enter into the kingdom of heaven. 
Translated, those who are attached, those who are directed by wealth and material possessions are going to have a very hard time entering into the kingdom of heaven. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy 1 and verse 9, he said to his young disciple there, he said, God saved us and called us with a holy calling. Whatever Paul did to receive his holy calling and receive forgiveness of sins, then, then Timothy must have done, because Paul said, God saved us. He saved us. We mentioned this morning that when Ananias came to Saul, as he had been three days without food, without sight, in full regret of what he had, he had done and the position he had been in, Ananias said, Saul, why do you tarry? Arise and be baptized. Wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. In the account of Acts 9, verse 18, talking about this, it says that, that Paul rose up and was baptized, and then he went and received food. Well, I tell you, circle verse 18 of Acts chapter 9. If this doesn't put a, an, excla- an excla- exclamation point next to baptism, if this, if this doesn't emphasize the necessity of baptism, think about how long has Paul now or Saul been without food? Okay. Three days or more. But the instruction was to arise and get yourself baptized, washing away your sins. And so even before he went to receive food, he went to the waters of baptism. And that began the great hope that the Apostle Paul had all his life. He helps us now to have that great hope as well. So I wanted us to see these four ideas from 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 19 and 20. For us to see the church connection. Just to see the awareness and recognition that we'll have. To see the great joy that will be ours at the second coming of Jesus. And then to see what it is it takes. It really just takes an all-out effort and great humility of mind to be able to enter the kingdom of heaven. Please come this evening if you have any need right now as we stand together. We sing for there.